Our scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2. As you're turning there, the children can be dismissed for children's church upstairs in the chapel. We're back in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 8 through 13. That's page 995 if you're using a pew Bible this morning. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if I have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Pastor Jason mentioned tonight we will gather in the Youth Center for the Local Church Conference, which is a yearly meeting that, that we're required to have but need to have where, uh, where we gather and reaffirm elders and other leaders and also look at some of the financial data from the year. We want to have total transparency for that. And then also just share a bit of where we sense we are and where we sense we're headed. And tonight um, I'm going to talk about a couple of things that I've felt pretty pretty strongly in the last um, year or so, particularly. And uh, the reason we didn't hand those booklets out this morning is because I don't, I'd like to say it rather than just have you read it. Normally we pass them out in the morning, let you peruse them, bring them back. But tonight, because of that, we're going to just ask that you come tonight. We'll share those things there. You're certainly all welcome to come. You need not be uh, officially a member of the church to come. In fact, it's, you don't need to do that. You, I mean, we'd love to have everyone come tonight for that particular time. If you're not able to come, we will pass those out next week. You'll be able to read some of that, but tonight we'll share it in uh, in more depth. We want to look now at Second Timothy again. This is the third week that we've been in this particular text, um, and uh, hopefully we'll move on from this text after today, after we come to the Lord's table. But let me just walk quickly back to where we're at this morning, where I want to go on from in the text. If you remember in this text, we talked about some things that we felt like Paul really wanted to communicate, especially to Timothy. Paul was in the midst of a, of a difficult circumstance. He was in, in chains for the gospel, and he wanted to tell, I think, Timothy some things that would help Timothy because he knew that's where Timothy was probably headed as well eventually. That Timothy would pay a price for him handing this baton of faith on to him. And really what I think we see in Paul are the ways in which Paul kept himself from falling into self-pity. We don't see him wallowing around in it here in this prison cell and bemoaning his circumstance. In fact, we see the opposite of that and his circumstance was not good. The, the, uh, the prison cell that he was in had to be a horrible experience for him, and uh, it was probably one of the worst prisons of that time that Paul was in. But he writes there 
three things to him. And we want to look at the third, but the first two. First of all, remember Jesus Christ, descended from David, risen from the dead. He, he wanted, particularly for Timothy, to, to go back to the resurrection. It makes all of the difference in the world. If there is no resurrection, basically Paul said in other places, go out, eat, drink, and be merry. Because if this is all there is, we're the worst to be pitied. But Paul knew that he didn't need to be pitied where he was at because of what was coming. What this slight and momentary affliction was going to lead to ultimately for Paul and for all who follow in the steps of Paul after Christ. So he, he, he knew that, that were there no resurrection, he would absolutely be a fool. In fact, told others, if you don't believe there's a resurrection... Um, then go eat, drink, and be merry. But Paul did believe there was a resurrection. He believed that Jesus fully entered into this world as a as fully human, fully God, but fully human. He fully entered in, and he entered for one reason, and that was to die, to die for all who would believe. And he came to do that, and he was raised from the dead as confirmation that he accomplished it, mission accomplished. The reason of the resurrection is Jesus did it. He did it perfectly. He did what he came to do. He accomplished what he set out to accomplish. And so God raised him from the dead as declaration of that. And the third thing is that he's alive. Paul knew that he wasn't some historical figure that he was declaring, but he was a risen Christ. And for us, sometimes we just need to remember we follow a risen Christ. We follow a risen king. I like that terminology. He is a king. We follow a king, King Jesus, who's alive. And then secondly, he said, and he made reference to the fact that even though I'm in chains, and this is what we spoke on last time we were together from this text, the, the word is not bound. The word is not handcuffed because I'm handcuffed. Well, he wasn't literally handcuffed, but he was in chains. Um, he, he knew that, that no one can bind the word of God. And though they bound him, that word could not be bound. He knew that the power was in that word and that word would continue to go forth. Faith cometh by hearing. Paul wrote it earlier. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. He knew that it was the word that had the power to bring faith in the lives of people, in the lives of the elect that he talks about here. It was the word that needed to to go forth and would go forth and was the basis upon which the power would come. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes in ministry you think you just nobody's listening. You know, they've, they've shut you off or they've turned you off. Maybe you've dealt with people, maybe family people, and you just feel like they just don't listen. Continue to take heart with the Word. The Word will do its work. Now, we need to be careful. We, we don't beat people over the head with Bibles. We do it tactfully. But we need to do it. We need to declare the Word. It's, I'm, I'm a living example of that. Um, this text, in fact, that we're going to come to at the close, in that is the text that God used in my life. If we deny him, he will deny us. 
I remember hearing it out of the television from the lips of Billy Graham when I was in my early teens, may, may not even have been a teenager, probably was not a teenager at that point. If we deny him, he will deny us. And I agonized over that text. As much as I tried to push it away, I, I couldn't. I couldn't escape it until I was a senior in high school in 1973 when I, I, heard, the go- I heard the remedy. A remedy. The remedy was the gospel. And embrace Christ and, and chose to follow him. But it was the word. It was the word of God that I could not run away from. And so take heart. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. Don't make sure we get the word correct. But it is the word that does the work. And Paul knew that. It cannot be bound. Cannot be bound. And uh, it will pursue those. It will pursue the elect. Thirdly, this, this particular statement. It says, endure everything. Paul said, I endure everything. I endure this prison, endure all of these circumstances, not giving in to self-pity. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That's exactly the way he said it here in the text. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Why? Why could Paul do that? I think it's because of truths that we find in other places of Scripture, particularly in the book of Colossians. If you have your Bibles, Turn there with me to Colossians chapter 1, just a few books back. Colossians chapter 1. This, this text, if I were to pick out a few texts that if, if I were going to, to give them to somebody, I could only give a few. This is one of the texts that I would give. This is one of the truths of Scripture for those who follow Christ. In fact, just recently my son gave us a couple of Bibles that he, he wants my wife and I to just put notes in for the sake of a granddaughter who's going to be 13 years old eventually. He wants us to put. This is one that I will choose. This is one I will comment on the fly leaf of that Bible. Listen to what it says. Paul is writing here now. This is now again, before he, at 2 Timothy, he's at the end of his ministry. He's not going to write anymore. This is the last thing he's going to write. So he wrote all of these books that we read now and we're going to look at this morning before that. So he knew this. When he says to Timothy, endure everything for the sake of the elect, he remembers this, okay? Verse 24 of chapter 1 in Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Again, the word. To make the word of God that cannot be bound fully known. What does he do? He rejoices in his sufferings. So what does rejoicing in his sufferings have to do with making the word fully known? Because they're in the same paragraph. I think for Paul, he understood. It's what he meant when he said endure everything because that is God's means. Suffering is God's means for that word becoming fully known. It's one of the things God uses in the life of his people to make that word shine brighter. We've talked about already in this particular series that 
that suffering is the path to glory. That's the route that Jesus took. Suffering was a path to glory for him. And that glory through suffering is the rhythm of Second Timothy. So suffering is, is paramount in the middle of that. And what he says in this text is that I make up what is lacking in regards to Christ's affliction in my suffering. At other times we've talked about this text, so I won't spend a ton of time here, but it, it, it isn't that somehow Christ didn't do enough. It isn't that, that somehow in the, in the realm of atonement that we have to make up the rest of what Christ started. Jesus said the, the work was finished. It is finished on the cross. He did everything that was necessary for our sin to be cared for in him. Everything that was necessary in his life that he lived perfectly for 30-some years so that he could be our Savior. He could be our propitiation. So it's not a matter of adding to that. So what are, what are we doing when we're making up? And I think what suffering in the lives of God's people does is it is the personal presentation of the sufferings of Christ to the world because Christ is no longer here to do that. So, so it is done through his people and how they trust God to be their sustainer and to supply grace in the midst of that so that they can show the worth of their God. I think one of the things, and, and, and suffering comes to all of us. We live in a broken world. If you... If you haven't experienced it yet, it's coming and probably already have. I mean, it's, it's coming. And he's not just talking, I think, suffering for the gospel. There is a sense in which Paul says endure everything. He's got hardship in prison because directly for the gospel. But any kind of suffering, I think, has the opportunity to show something. And I think the opportunity that it has to show is the worth of our God. Suffering for him directly by way of persecution, the willingness shows the worth of our God in the fact that we do it. But even suffering because of a broken world, that we suffer in a, in a, in a righteous way, gives glory to him. Just, just this week, for the last couple of days, we, I had a, my, my last living uncle passed away. So we made a quick trip to Nebraska to that funeral to be there with my cousins. And in that time, I knew I would, I, would, I would have one of those cousins who is in the midst of terminal cancer. Um, back 12 years ago, when I was at the Mayo Clinic um, being treated for my cancer, my prostate cancer, um, I was walking for the first time out of my room, walking down the hall, and, and I heard a voice behind me. And I thought, who in the world in this hospital knows me? And, many out. and I turned around. It was her. It was this cousin by marriage, and uh, she had come to the Mayo Clinic not just to see me, but because she was there, she looked me up. But what she had come for was that she came to to be checked out to donate a kidney. She was going to give her kidney to a woman, and in the process of being checked out for that kidney, they found she had a spot on her lung, and she had just gotten the news before she came to see me. And so, obviously, in the course of the conversation, eventually we find that, and and uh, and spent some time together, and, and she was treated for that, had surgery, and for a number of years um, thought she was 
on a road to to going forward and not having any recurrence of it. She lived over five years with it, and then all of a sudden, a few years ago, it came back, and she had to have a lung completely removed. Had that lung removed, and again went on for a while, and then just recently began to have trouble again, and they found a spot on another lung. And uh, and they made the decision she wasn't going to have treatment. Made the decision, I'm not going to go through treatment. I'm, we're just going to live out the days that God gives us. And they have been doing that. And I, by benefit of social media, although I'm not on Facebook, my wife is, sometimes I see it. And I've watched her life. I've watched them walk through this process for the last several months. And so I knew I would see her there. And one of the things I said to Carol, I, I put my arm on her shoulder and I said, Carol, you have... You have walked through these days with grace. And, and what she has done is she's shown the worth of her God. She's a believer, and uh, she's shown the worth of her God in the way that she has dealt with it, the way she has lived with it. And I think there's a sense in which when, when we walk through those things, whether it's for direct persecution because of the name of Christ or indirect, just because we live in a broken world, we have the we have the opportunity to show the value of our God to us. And she certainly has done that. And so in that sense, we make up what is lacking in regards to Christ's infliction. And Paul said, endure everything, Timothy, so that you show the worth of your God. Live it in a way, not in self-pity. That doesn't mean we're not honest. I mean, she would say, and she has said, you know, some days are better than others. She one of the things she said to me that day as we were there is we're starting to, there's certain things that start to happen that you kind of know things are changing in your body. She made that comment, but, but didn't dwell there, didn't, didn't bemoan her circumstance, didn't, didn't lift her fist at God in anger for it coming back. There's a sense of grace upon her life that is having an incredible influence in those around her. Even her husband, as the last person we spoke to as we left, talked about how her faith, how her faith has been such a help to him. So there's a sense in which Paul knew that the means by which Timothy and, and he would see the gospel going forward and not being bound would be this very suffering. That's why I don't think he gave into it. I think that's why he didn't give into it. So he says, endure everything, and then he goes on and makes an interesting, for the sake of the elect, endure everything, suffering because it's a means, Paul knew that, for the sake of the elect. Why does he use the word elect? Why not use words like lost? Why elect? Well, I think it's because it's biblical language. It's in other places in Scripture. Other, other things say much the same thing. Listen to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Paul used language that had the inference that God was about saving a people. You see, Paul had a 
great grasp of the Old Testament. We know that, don't we? And he understood that God took the people of Israel, the Jewish people, not because they were more holy or more righteous than those around them, but he chose them. He chose them to pour out his love and his mercy upon, to concentrate it upon them there. Um, he, he, knew, he knew that God was about saving a people. He described that people as an elect people. Do everything for the sake of the elect. For those God is uh, planning to save, planning to open their eyes to see the glory. Planning uh, those that, that will taste and see that the Lord is good and take refuge in him and all that he is for them in Christ. Jesus died for them. He died for those who would believe. His death was effective. He was their propitiation. Paul knew that there was a people for whom Jesus would be their propitiation. He would turn away the penalty and the wrath that is stored up against sin from them and take it upon himself. And so Paul says, Endure everything for the sake of those people. That's, that's who I do it for, Timothy. Paul didn't know who they were. He didn't know which ones were and which ones weren't. He didn't know which one had, had the wrath of God propitiated away from them in the death of Christ. So he just spread the message everywhere. He endured for the sake of, of men who would see and believe and embrace He didn't become passive in it. He was active in it. There was no one more active than Paul. And again, we turn to another text to see that. I want to read it to you this morning. This is is what Paul felt. This is where the text will end now For when it says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Paul here talks about that. He says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame in Romans chapter 10. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who will call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Paul endured everything so that the word might go forth and the elect might hear and believe and be saved. That's why Paul endured what he endured, for the sake of people who needed to hear the word, to come to life. And he endured everything for that. All that he did was about that, not knowing where that word would take root, where that word would awaken souls to the glory of Christ and they would embrace him. But he's cast it everywhere and he calls on us to cast it everywhere. 
That's what we're called to do, just as Timothy was to endure everything for the sake of the elect. That should be our posture. There are people today, I, I say this today, there are people today who says you should not do that. There are people, I don't worry so much about secular people who say that, but there are people in the church world who say you shouldn't do that. They have so bought into pluralism that every road leads to heaven that they say you're arrogant to do that. You're arrogant, particularly we had Jews for Jesus here a while back. And, and there is a group, not, not again, not the secularists. I expect them to say that. But the church wants to say today, there are many who would name, name the name of Christ and say that it is the utmost arrogance for us as Christians to go to the Jews and declare the name of Christ, to say that there's no other name under heaven whereby they must be saved. They would, they would look down upon that. Paul never would have been there. Paul never would have rested there. He said he endured everything for the sake of Christ. The Bible is full of that. And, and one of the things of our existence statement that we pray that we'll magnify Christ so that people will see and savor, but don't miss the last declare. Declare the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what Paul meant when he said, said endure everything for the sake of declaring that message, the word to go forth so it can take root in the lives of those for whom God propitiated away their sin. God did that for a people. Paul knew it and he went to them. He went to them believing that God would work with the word. He also had another further description of those elect. And I want to go back to 2 Timothy if you have have it there. And we'll conclude with this. Then we're going to come to the table. Another definition of the elect is given in this last statement as you walk through this. If you look in verse 10, it says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The salvation in Christ, the propitiation by which he propitiated away their sin, sin of all who believe. But it says, the saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. That's a description of those elect. The description of those elect is that they have died with Christ. When Christ died, they died. When Christ was raised, they were raised to new life. That's what it means to be in Christ. If, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. And then the next parallel statement, if we endure with him, we will reign with him. And so the two words that are parallel, if you've died, you will endure. And if you live with him, you will reign with him. If we've died, we will endure. If we live with him, we will reign with him. What God begins, he finishes. And if, he, if we are in Christ, all that are in Christ, all for whom Christ has propitiated away their punishment, that is true of them. That is true of them. They, the elect will persevere in righteousness to the end because Christ will make it happen. But then he goes on and he finishes with this. He says, if we deny him, That's the text that God used in my heart. If we deny him, 
he will also deny us. I had it right, folks. I had it right. If I denied him, he would deny me. The fears that I had were justified fears. One of my fears was, this, this is one of the ways my irrational mind worked back then, but I didn't grow up in the church. And, and in our tradition, which is what we do here in this tradition, practiced, uh, practiced adult baptism in the tradition we were attached to. I think we went to church there twice is the two times I remember being there. But we really weren't connected. I didn't grow up in the church. But I did know enough that I wasn't baptized. Now, I know now that baptism wasn't the issue. It was profession. It was denying. But I remember, I remember thinking, this is how my mind was working. I, I just felt a need to be baptized. And the way my mind would work is, if I am not willing to do that in front of those people, then that means I'm denying him, and the scripture says he will deny me. And so you see what started in my heart? So I began to promise, Lord, I'll go at Easter time. I'll go at Easter because I had, I don't know how I knew this, but I knew lots of people show up at Easter. So the churches are full and they wouldn't notice I was new. I don't know where that came from. So I promise, I'll go at Easter, Lord, I'll go. And then I'll go long enough that I'll get connected and I'll be baptized up in front of all those people. I, I grew up in a Catholic neighborhood and, and literally I was angry at God that I wasn't Catholic at that point. My theology was all skewed. You can, you can understand where I'm going, can't you? Because all my Catholic friends got baptized as babies. They didn't have to do it in front of people. They have to go out in front of somebody and get baptized. But I, but I still had lots of it right. I had the truth. If we deny him, he will deny us. The issue was not baptism. The issue was, will I declare him? Which is what baptism is. Will I declare him? I had it right. It goes on to say, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So again, we have a parallel. If we deny, if we are faithless, by denying we show that we've not begun. By, by denying him we show that we lack faith, we don't have faith. Our faith is not in Christ. We're faithless. So if we deny, we are faithless. And he will deny us. But he will remain faithful. Not to those who deny him, in the sense that he will override their denial. A lot of people want to take that text out of context, and they say, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. In other words, if I mess up, he'll still bail me out. It's not what that text means. That's proof texting. What that text means is he will be faithful. He will be just. And, and he propitiates the way propitiates away the sin of those who believe. The sin of those who have died with him and live with him. Those who um, reign with him and endure with him. But he will remain faithful in the sense that those who deny him, he will deny them. So we come now to communion. What What is that about for the elect, for those who believe, for those who are in Christ, those who will reign with him. What is it? Why do we do it? Why do we come to this table? Why did he say, do it in remembrance of me? Because it's a means of that perseverance. It's a means by which we continually, regularly, periodically remember Christ, continue to affirm him, 
Continue to endure with him. Continue to remain faithful. And lots of what we do in the church life, the life of the church, the life for Paul was, I endure everything for the sake of the that they might believe. I think in that sense, in the, in the strictest sense of what Paul was saying there, those who have not yet, not yet, come to life, come to faith in Christ. But it was more than that. We endure everything for the sake of that, that continue, that cause them to persevere in faith, but as God perseveres in them. So communion is a part of that perseverance, continuing to affirm him, continuing to live in faithful um, declaration of him in our lives. So as we come this morning, I pray you would come in that regard. The invitation is on the screen. It's in your bulletin this morning. We have open communion. You are welcome to come to this table if you can live under that invitation this morning. And let me read to you what Paul writes to us as we come to the table this morning in regards to to communion. Paul writes this again before he was in prison before the end for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way he took the cup and after supper saying this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup You proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the Lord's death and what it means to you. Declaration that you are in Christ and you endure with him so that you can live with him and reign with him forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we come. We come to your table. We come as those that Paul described as the elect. Those who have put their faith in you, who are in Christ. And who are enduring in faith. And even our act of coming to this table is part of that endurance and you are working in us. We're grateful, Father, that your word says, He who began a good work in us will bring that work to completion at the day of Christ. So, Those who are in Christ and endure with him will live with him and will reign with him. It's it's not an uncertainty for those that are in Christ. And we're grateful for the means by which you give us, Lord, to, to stoke that faith in us and to keep that faith alive and to cause us, Lord, to continue to endure. So we come to this table in remembrance of all that Christ has done and anew and afresh declare to you This is our only hope. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for those to come. We're going to help us to distribute. If you're visiting this morning, we're going to distribute the elements in the pews. We'd ask you to hold them and we'll partake together. represents the body of our Lord that was broken for us, taken hold, and we'll take together.
Christ alone. My hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the On him was laid, here in the death of Christ I Scriptures say that Christ became a curse for us. So I think Paul could have written and said, endure everything for the sake of those for whom Christ has become a curse. This morning, eat in the gratefulness that he became that curse for us. Take and hold and we'll protect together.
Listen to this text. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth, put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I think Paul could have said, endure everything. Endure everything for the sake of those for whom Christ has been their propitiation by his blood. Take and drink and be grateful.
stand together. Father, help us as a people. Help us to have the intentionality and passion of Paul. Help us to hear his words, not not hear them as words to Timothy, but to hear them as words to us. To endure everything for the sake of the elect, for those who are yet to believe upon Christ. For those who are yet to know that he has propitiated away their sin. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in God's peace.